You're listening to As Read By Me, the podcast where writers read and readers listen. Greetings, and welcome to As Read By Me, episode 202. I'm Dave Stiles, coming to you from the icy shores of the Neshaminy Creek. We've got a flurry of writers reading this week, beginning with Heidi Bank, who will start us out with her poem entitled Snow. Don Tollefson will be reading his essay, The Evolution of Innocence. Melinda Gordon will be sharing an excerpt from her forthcoming book, Becoming Buster Brown. And finally, Paul Camerata will get us in the mood for spring with his poem about Punxsutawney Phil, entitled The Iron Hog. So put on your coziest sweater and grab a nice warm drink, because here comes the snow. Hi, this is Heidi Bank, and this is a poem called Snow, as read by me. Snow is quiet, like the edges of the morning, just as the sun returns. Snow flattens the world into friendly monochrome, soft and dovey gray, except for my cardinal friend in the bush. Snow is cozy sleepy, requiring blankets and whiskey and fuzzy socks and a book. Snow is a pause for quiet, quiet breath. Hi, I'm Don Tollison, and this is The Evolution of Innocence, as read by me. I became a father for the first time at 57, and my precious Gabriella has been an inspiring joy each and every day since. I had observed so many great fathers before December 16, 2009, especially my late great brother Arthur who taught my amazing nephew and Navy pilot Lieutenant Brian Tollison thousands of wonderful qualities that I have tried to teach Gabby as best I can. So many other fathers I admired over the years enabled me to increase that list dramatically. One thing that I have constantly heard from so many awesome mothers and fathers is they grow up so fast and then there's some variation of appreciate them now. I was really not looking forward to Gabby growing up too fast, but I now contend that each new example of growing up produces a fantastic new joy. My list of my favorite 100 top Gabby moments is updated constantly. To just freeze on the list a few top moments is the all-time best, would be unfair to Gabby, unfair to me, and just like eating pizza for every meal every day. I really love pizza, especially with pepperoni and mushrooms. But do I really want to pass up burgers, cheesesteaks, steaks, chicken tenders, french fries, ham and eggs, pancakes, etc., so I can have another slice of pizza for the 99th straight meal? Uh, That would be no. It is very unlikely that Gabby raking leaves at two, holding a doll at three, 
dancing on a table at four, visiting a firehouse at five, complete with a firefighter's helmet, petting her beloved dog Murray at six, all dressed up with me at a father's daughter's dance at eight, will ever not remain in the top 99. But just this past weekend, there were new entries at the age of 11, including scoring a key run in a softball game, meticulously cleaning our little above-ground pool, and best of all, taking a goofy selfie of us in my car. For me, the first devastating loss of innocence was when somebody called my best friend the N-word during a basketball game. Growing up in an incredibly diverse city, called San Francisco, I was exposed to children from all races, creeds, and colors, and thankfully not to overt hatred. But at that very disappointing moment, I vowed to fight against the insidious cancer that is hatred as much as I possibly can for the rest of my life. My mother and my grandmother who raised me were champions of civil rights and justice, and hearing a hateful term made me appreciate their upbringing so much more. Most of the time, a loss of innocence for a child is far less dramatic, but I now realize there are teaching moments when any sort of innocence is at the very least threatened or compromised. It may not be exactly innocence, but Gabriella's incredible sense of curiosity is so wonderful, as are her constant attempts to look for the best in others. I doubt that getting older and having ups and yes downs will change that because she is so grounded in that optimistic carpe diem approach to each and every day. When we maintain our sense of curiosity and our boundless optimism, we can stave off pessimism. We can stave off cynicism and yes, losing way too much innocence from things we cannot control. Just keep trying our best to react with ever-increasing hope and work to spread that hope. And yes, a lot of our innocence will remain, even as it evolves maturely and gracefully. You go, precious Gabriella. You go, girl. Hi, I'm Melinda Gordon, and this is an excerpt from my forthcoming book called Becoming Buster Brown, as read by me. Amid the whirlwind of impending world change and the craziness of times, I had both the excellent luck and supreme misfortune to be born in 1955. It was the perfect time to be on Earth. There was rock and roll, moon exploration, the civil rights movement, color TV, and a hamburger was 15 cents. And there was me. So much exploration and growth and excitement, yet so little knowledge about what made the people behind all of it tick. Being the first child, grandchild, and great-grandchild in the family came with a lot of perks. I was in the catbird seat for sure. My father was thrilled to welcome his little look-alike and to squire my mother and I around as if we were royalty. He took great delight in pointing out my perpetually turned-down mouth and the fact that I always seemed to be studying my surroundings, giving the impression that my intentions, even as a toddler, were scholarly and serious. My grandparents doted on me 
and showered me with treats and toys and music and laughter and love and the sense that all was right in the world. And my mother? My mother dressed me in ruffles and curled my hair and sang and danced with me. We were best buddies, contentedly sitting on the floor together, wearing our mouse ears while we sang along with the Mickey Mouse Club. She posed me for unending photo sessions with my aunt, who was a photographer for TV Guide. We drove around in her red convertible wearing matching headscarves, and we sang along with the radio. Time stopped if I was ill or I scraped a knee, and everyone started breathing again once I was declared whole. It was a glamorous little life, but one that somehow never felt quite like I was living it, but that I was watching it all happen. There was always the feeling that tears could leak out at any given moment, and the unsettled feeling in my stomach almost never went away. As time went on and life took over, my quiet, compliant nature was taken as a very good thing. I was obedient, eager to please, bright, creative, and seemingly content. A model child. What could go wrong? My grandparents' home, where we lived, was a large, lively gathering place for the family. Musicians, businessmen, politicians, teachers, and scholars regularly sat down at our Sunday meals that usually lasted all day. The kitchen clattered with the sounds of china and pots and pans. The aromas of the morning's locks and bagels mingled with the afternoon's brisket and chicken being prepared, and occasionally some rich tobacco and coffee joined all of it for a fragrant little dance that was both exotic and comforting. It was my world, my happy place, everyone I loved and who loved me in one place. I wanted it to go on forever, but not like this. Certainly somebody saw it, didn't they? The cousins ran and played and stole cookies from the table and giggled like some juvenile pirates who had just found a treasure. They were shushed and directed toward the basement or the backyard. They were loud and sweaty and having fun. I was there too, but I didn't shout or run around. Mostly, I sat on the piano bench with my contraband cookies hidden from sight. I watched and wished to be wild and silly. I wished to laugh out loud and not to worry so much. The loud voices and laughter didn't come from me. I didn't roll down the hill or climb the trees, and I certainly didn't dare ruin the day by telling anyone that my little heart was racing and that my head felt as if it was filled with cotton. But when one of those cousin pirates went a little too far and was reprimanded, it was I who burst into tears, feeling every bit of guilt as if I had been loud or sweaty and silly myself. And it was my stomach that felt the pain that came with all of this, silently crying for help. And I was four years old. Hi, I'm Paul Camerata, and this is called The Iron Hog, as read by me. East of Ohio, west of New York, lived an old iron hog, the ground kind, not the pork. Yes, a groundhog he was, by the name of Phil, in the town of Punxsutawney, 
living under a hill, where he'd become the iron hog for his unbroken streak of predicting if winter had six more weeks. Well, one year as his big day drew near, Phil's iron hog streak was in danger, he feared. That's when Philippa Aliquippa, in someplace PA, heard her phone ring the night before Groundhog Day. Hello there, Pippi. It's your old pal, Phil, here in Punxsutawney, feeling quite ill. I tried not to call. I tried to hold, hold out, but it's nearly tomorrow and my health is in doubt. Shadowed or not, a groundhog must be here. Shadowed or not, a groundhog must go <laughs> to sort out the seasons so everyone knows. Tradition, the streak, to put on the show. Philippa Aliquippa, detecting desperation, said, Phil, if you're extending, I accept the invitation. Then off to Punxsutawney, from someplace PA, she set out for a surprise trip on Groundhog Day. And at Old Gobbler's Knob, still dark before the dawn, Pippa met Phil on the calm, moonlit lawn. Sneezy and wheezy, he went over each step, then one at a time had Pippi review it. She listened and nodded and played along well, keeping to herself that there was nothing to it. As the sun rose and a buzz filled the town, Pippa and Phil peered out from below ground. Any questions, he asked? Any last-minute stuff? By chance, have you got, Pip asked, marshmallow fluff? She smiled, then giggled, then laughed. Phil did not. No worries, Puck's pal. This old eye, I can dot. Then upward she climbed, then outward she went, and spotting no shadows, away winter she sent. A top-hatted fella then held Pip aloft. There were cheers and snapshots. In his den, <laughs> Phil coughed. That was the year partnership saved old Puck's Phil, when the iron hog streak he could not solo fulfill. Still, that problem was solved in time for Groundhog Day. The Philippa Aliquippa turned Punxsutawney Pip away. Thanks for joining us. If you're listening on a podcast app, please hit the subscribe button to be notified when we release future episodes. For more information about the podcast and the authors, visit asreadbyme.com. You can also find us on Twitter, and you can stream video versions of the show on YouTube and Rumble. If you're enjoying the show and would like to help us keep it ad-free, please consider supporting us by visiting asreadbyme.com and clicking the donate button. If you're a writer and would like to read something on an upcoming episode, send an email to writers at asreadbyme.com.